Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Monday Musings here with another episode uh, to answer your questions on parenting and child raising in Islam, inshallah. Welcome to season two. This is episode two of season two. Um, like I said in the last episode, um, our lovely Iran bin Safiya will be my co-host in season two. And we also have a special guest joining us all the way from Australia today, Catherine Jones. Catherine, I've known her for a few years on social media. I love reading her posts. She is a coach, a mentor, a parenting expert, also the founder of Back to the Fitra Academy, mashallah. And lately, I have been really enjoying your walks and pictures, Catherine. Welcome. And few words from you. For having me here and I've been enjoying my walks actually <laughs> they've been amazing yeah we've been enjoying them with you yes <laughs> yes right mashallah enjoy your summer while the rest of the world is experiencing winter and we have a specific question that we received from a mother in the UK that we would like to address today. And it is the one that worries most of uh, us parents in today's day and age. And it's the question of raising teens in this climate of social media and Netflix. And this particular mom uh, was asking specifically about children and social media. And the, the actual question was quite long. She talked about, you know, how children are being raised in um, artificial world with superficial communications and the lack of human interaction. So how can we guide them so they can strike a reasonable balance between deen and dunya in this day and age, subhanAllah. And like I said, I want to have a disclaimer uh, because I have no experience dealing with social media in our household. Um, I have six children of all ages and stages. Um, however, we have had no TV in the house and um, through not much hard work of our own, we have been able to avoid uh, mobiles um, and uh, you know social media so none of my children own a mobile so we we use our mobiles together and they don't go on social media except like reading my posts and messages so I would really like to you to address this issue really subhanAllah because you both um, you know live in the west right and so you have more experience with regards to your own children and how they get pulled into the peer pressure. And what are, let's start with your own uh, experience as a mother. I'd like you to, you know, um, mention your children's and their age and what age did they start owning their own mobiles or what age did they start um, you know uh, using social media because we all know the facts and figures you know I've done my research and but when it comes to your personal experience this is what I where I would like to start today inshallah so Catherine tell us about about your children and their ages and when you allowed them to have a mobile or gadgets or to have a social media account or choose their own um, shows to watch on Netflix please sure so I I have five children and two stepsons so my five children are aged 10 13 17 
19 and 23 and my stepsons are 30 and 32 and I was parenting them through their teen years as well so their teen years was back in the early 2000s right so a long while ago now and we we had phones back then well they weren't smartphones because I think of the first smartphone started to really come out around 2007 so it's the old-fashioned type of phones and we let the eldest who's now 32 have one around the age of 15 and that was because they were you know catching a bus uh, to the Islamic college and with the with younger brothers with him and so that was just a, like a backup if necessary and the only problem we had was you know catching him you know talking to his friends at, at midnight and it was really easy to solve the problem because it just meant I had the phone at night time and you really could pick up easily that something was happening because you could hear the mumblings of the voice even through the door without even going into the bedroom so back then everything was very obvious and very easy but as my children entered into high school it became um, compulsory especially by the time my third daughter who's now 17 when she started year eight at school at the age of 13 it was compulsory for them to have to have an ipad for school because all of their textbooks and a lot of the apps that the teachers were using, they were using it through the iPad. And so suddenly what happened, because we had very strict rules or I had very strict rules around when my kids could have devices and, and what devices they'd be allowed to have. And suddenly that was taken out of my hands because the schools insisted. And um, before she had to have the iPad, the boys had to have computers once they hit high school. So the school system actually took that control out of our hands as parents. And that was a real challenge because firstly, they would the schools would lecture us on how we're meant to manage our children's usage of these devices. And we're sort of up in arms going, well, actually, that wasn't on my agenda. You guys are the ones that that gave me this responsibility I didn't want to have right now. I didn't want my children to have access to a device and have the excuse that I've got homework to do. So it becomes really difficult to even take the device off them because they'll say they need it for homework or something like that. So it became very complicated after that time. So I guess that's the background story for my family as far as what I've done about it maybe I'll, I'll wait um, so you, you they you've allowed them mainly because it became a necessity right it became necessity yeah it, it, it just be, it became something that we no longer had the choice around mm -hmm. and during that time were they using it for entertainment purposes at all or no oh of course You've got to understand as an adult that if your child has a device, that they're going to want to do the things on their device that their friends do, that they're going to hear about things at school. Once they have that device, that's inevitable. So it's not so much a case of I now give you permission to access those things. It's a case of now I have to figure out how to manage the fact that you have access to those things. 
Interesting, yeah. And uh, Iram, how about you? Can you tell us your children's age and do they own a mobile or any uh, gadget and have they access to social media and uh, what have you been your experience? So um, uh, we, we homeschool for the past six years and the uh, children are now 14, 12 and 10. And I think my son since the age of 10 has been asking if he can have his own cell phone. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, uh, we do have uh, iPads and we do have a tablet for online learning. And uh, like Sister Catherine said, that once you give that to the children, it's inevitable that they will use it for other things. And uh, they do, they do use it. And so what did we do? We had uh, parental controls where we would allow it to function only for an hour and then the Wi-Fi on those devices shuts down. The apps are not downloadable until unless we know what they want to download. They come to us, they let us know that this is what we want to download. And all of this came not from the very beginning. Actually, it was from a trial and error. We learned this the hard way that, um, you know, if, if it's not enough to say, okay, you can do this and you cannot do this you have to as a parent take control in a sense which is which has been discussed it's not like we are being authoritative about it we're not doing an authoritarian thing we we discuss it we let them know the pros and cons they agree or dis they disagree um that's not an issue actually because if you're talking about uh clean uh entertainment and if you're talking about the sunnah way and if you're talking about not filling your eyes and your ears with something that's going to later on make a problem for you because um, I have seen and, and through my research, like, you know, I am, I'm, I'm a parent coach myself and I do a lot of research and I do a lot of reading and I've seen this over and over and again. And in my house, I have seen this, that it takes only one click to go from a proper clean website to something that's equivalent to anything rubbish, but yeah. Yes, subhanAllah. You know, where, where, I think this is the problem for many parents, right? Because they can't police their children's online activity, you know, 24-7. So yes, we use uh, parental guidance, but at some point the decision has to come from the, the, the children, right? So we need to guide them in the right way. And I was just, you know, like I said, I don't have much experience with, um, you know, children and social media. Alhamdulillah, we've been lucky enough to, um, you know, move and we've been living in Saudi Arabia. So we don't have that much of a pressure. Uh, again, my children are home educated or they go to Quran. So they don't have that much of a peer pressure to be uh, online, you know, to have that sense of, uh connection and belonging so they don't feel left out um I, I think they don't even know what they are missing out i'm sure you know when they grow up they'll be like oh mom you're just in prison right but the, yeah because they've never been introduced they don't know what they're missing out but according to you know the latest research that that has been conducted in the uk this is according to child mind institute right um 45 of teenagers are suffering from anxiety and low self-esteem and the primary cause of this is the social media and text messages subhanallah look at this yeah so what it's important to understand um what's happening for our teenagers and how social media 
but also gaming is playing a role in that because if you look at the statistics, if it's broken down between males and females, the tendency, and it's a tendency, like the, je- the majority, it's the girls that are affected by the social media and it's the boys that are affected by the gaming. And it's all to do with where their dopamine levels are at at this time in their life. So they go through a phase and Allah knows best why this happens. Certain experts have given some kind of ideas that, you know, it's part of them being launched into from childhood into adulthood, that this whole change in how their dopamine works is part of overcoming the fears of the responsibilities that it you need to step into as an adult. So if we look back in the time of the Prophet, وسلم, teenagers were leading armies. So stepping from childhood into adulthood was a big step, right? And so there's this phase where through through the changes that they're going through, uh, their dopamine levels are generally lower than adults and children's. um, But when they do get a rush of dopamine, it is a much bigger spike than we would experience as well. And that the other hormone that's meant to balance it out and bring the dopamine levels back down again is uh, somewhat deactivated. And so there's this natural inclination for them to seek out dopamine-inducing activities. So in the day when there wasn't mobile phones in their hands, they were climbing trees, they were jumping off cliffs into lakes, you know, they're making go-karts and going down the hill fast to get that kind of fix of their dopamine you know went back in the day when that's the sort of thing kids did but now for boys with the mixture of the testosterone they're looking for danger and so they they play games and they get that influx of dopamine through the game and it becomes quite addictive and for the girls, it's the oxytocin hormone that is all about wanting to belong and um, be a part of the crowd and be accepted. And so it's all about posting on social media and farming likes. And if someone likes it, then yay, you know, I've um, people like me and, they, and, and it gives them that dopamine rush in that moment. But the problem particularly with social media and with girls and why there's been a real increase in depression in girls is that it has the opposite effect too because if they post something and people don't like it then they see it as there's something wrong with me so they're judging themselves based on the reactions they're getting to their posts and it's so what's so outside in for both of them they're all seeking out very outside in places to find their self-worth instead of finding their self-worth from within yes yes absolutely and i think that was the the main worry um you know um that this mother you know um was trying to explain to me basically she was saying that you know like I don't know like what to do or how to control because the children you know they they don't have real-time interactions anymore right the the teenagers they they are really good at keeping themselves busy and like you said in the past they used to climb trees or they they used to hang out with their friends in person or they would 
be, they'd be chatting to their um, grandparents or all these, you know, lots of um, experimenting outside, trying different interpersonal skills. These, these like tiny real-time interactions that, that help them to develop the skills that they needed, right? But at, at yes. the moment, what we see is that they are learning to do most of their communication looking at the screen and not with another person be it gaming or social media and what what do you think are the you know implications of this when these teenagers go out in the in the real world you know surely like college time yes they can you know pass with screens again but then they will have to go out to work and they'll have to get married and they'll have to become a father a mother right and they will have to handle all these different roles and responsibilities and they they will, they they need to maintain these relationships in real time with real person um, do you think this this swap will be natural so we sh we should not worry too much about it or that we should be doing like we should be putting some measurements in place so they they develop these skills right now. Simon Sinek um, does a really good, uh, has talked about this because he's yeah. been looking at the the generation that has now entered into the workforce mm -hmm. that have come from the first ones who have had the, you know, the iPods and the, and the original devices. And he said the things they're noticing are, firstly, the addiction to technology that every single one of them will have their phone up facing in front of them, so in front of their keyboard so that they can notice if anybody messages them or says something so that they're always there available to, to the world through their phone. And that as a result, their concentration at work is, is lower. So there's already signs showing in the workforce that there are issues coming through. But I do think the interesting thing is the communication that you raised. There was a time when my daughter the one that's now 17 was having some friendship issues and they were trying to resolve them through text messages and I kept saying to her you realize that through text messages everyone's going to read that message through their own tone of voice not through the tone of voice and how it was sent because you're missing the whole tone of voice you're missing the whole body language and I said can't you just ring your friend and have a conversation and sort it out she goes, I don't have her phone number. And then that's when the penny dropped and I went, subhanAllah, they don't have voice conversations <laughs> because they just don't. <laughs> they do everything through text. And then if somebody, for instance, doesn't reply, they've read the message, then this whole thing about she left me on red. At first I thought there was this special setting where you could set someone on red to give them the message that they're blocked. But then I, then I realized she's not talking about the color red. She's talking about the word R-E-A-D, as in she's read the message but hasn't replied. She's left me on red. And I went, my God, they've even got a language around this. <laughs> and and uh, one of the things I realized was, you know, we would have tiffs at school, but we would go home and we would have a break from it all and we'd come back to school the next day and everything would be fine. But what happens here is you listen to your child and you listen and you listen and you help them resolve it. And then half an hour later, they're upset again because someone sent another message and it's like, they never get a break. 
they never have a chance to let these the resolution sit before somebody stirs it up again and it's exhausting as a parent because you're always fighting fires with them so it's crazy you mentioned Simon Singh and he he did one one of his conversations was your generation does not know how to connect by talking and and that's a lagging skill that that a whole entire generation is going to have where they won't be able to communicate um uh, just just uh, but I also think that uh, on sister Iroda's question that do we need to do an intervention do we need to speak to them, tell them that you need to speak, that you need to, and like Sister Catherine, you have had that life on experience with, your, with, with, the, with the example that you just gave. Um, the thing is, they're not going to listen to that extent and they're not going to understand until they feel it. Um, with our generation, the millennials, we started off with a trend and then when we saw the repercussions to it, and I'm going to talk about positive parenting here, when we saw the repercussions of the type of parenting that was being taught to the previous generations and when they and us, we started changing it after seeing the drawbacks, only then the change has started. Only then these conversations have started. Only then positive coaching and positive parenting and unconditional loving and all of this came to surface. Although it takes us back to our, to our fitra, like you say, back to the fitra, back to the Prophet back to the Sunnah, my point here is, and my husband and I, we argue a lot about this, but this is, uh, but for me, I understand that, listen, it is their time. They, we can give them examples, we can advise them, but this is going to go way beyond our control and they're going to have their downfall and then they're going to revise something better. At least that's my take on it. That's how I see it. So I, listening to what you're saying, I have found that the solution for me is my relationship with my children. It's not about necessarily attacking the issue directly, but if I have a good relationship with my children, if I have conversation with my children and make it safe for them to discuss things with me around what's happening in the world, Number one, they're getting that opportunity to learn how to have conversations with, an, with a human being. So we are actually having human-to-human -human communications. And that doesn't tend to happen if we, if we use some of the kind of parenting techniques our parents used because hmm. you really do have to build the relationship and make it a very relationship-based way of parenting. Yes. Um, and secondly that connection and having that strong connection with your children is what we call the super protective factor that that there even if you know they have their times which they they do where they're questioning their faith and because they can't see Allah and they're still trying to figure out how all that works that connection with us becomes a deterrent for them to do the wrong thing because they don't want to displease us and that's through having that really beautiful relationship with them. Doesn't mean that they're perfect and they don't do dumb things. They always will. They're human beings like we are and we do dumb things. Mm -hmm. it's, um, it's the fact that when they're faced with the right and wrong, that there's a really good chance that they will pick the right over the wrong. 
even though there's something within them that say, oh, yeah, go on, go on, go on, because that's just natural um, phase. I mean, I'm sure yes. each and every one of us knows that when we were teenagers, there were times that we did things that we knew our parents disapproved of just for the thrill of it, even though it wasn't even that bad. Yes, yes, absolutely. I, I can relate to it. I can I can relate to it. And the thing is, you know, the social media, it does offer benefits right because like we we use it as an adult right we use it for networking it you you know it enhances your uh, creativity and it gives you that sense of belonging and connection so we can channel this in the right way for our children as well and uh, so they can use it they can like we just have to uh, guide them how to use social media to their own advantage. I remember, you know, back in the days when the internet first came out, right? And I, oh, I, I remember so clearly that some, um, you know, some scholars and sheikhs outruling, you know, internet completely, saying like it's haram, you know, you you can't use internet, and you know, you you will be corrupted. And um, I remember reading these fatwas from here and there, and I remember, you know, some people like elderly having discussions, right? And it turns out that internet does offer benefits and you can use it to your advantage. Likewise, social media, we, we use it, right? For, for networking, for collaboration, you know, to, to learn new skills. But the question is, right, yes, we can't ask our children to be digital hermits. This, this is not the time for it, right? They, they need to have access to social media. They need to have, you know, some uh, clean entertainment. But the question goes back to, okay, how, what steps or what rules or what, are, like how to set boundaries? I think that's where we have been left confused and bewildered, you know, how can we set boundaries so they can strike the balance so we're not telling them all the time what to do and how to do or we're not policing them you know 24 7 because that's really exhausting I think not, more than physically you know I can stay awake watching my kids it's mentally exhausting so how can we like you said relationship I always say go back to the relationship right go back to the it is it's back to the relationship because um First of all, one of the things that you said is creating an expectation that perhaps we need to bust that expectation because that brings a lot of frustration. And that is the expectation that we can put something in place that will help them self-regulate. If we go back to what I said about the dopamine, they've already done studies of teens and it's not that they don't understand the repercussions of their actions. It's not that they have a lack of impulse control. It's simply that they're seeking the, that, that rush of dopamine. And so because that's also quite addictive, we need to be aware of the fact that they may not be capable of self-regulating. If we set up an expectation that, okay, we've got the system in place, the rules in place and relationship in place. So now everybody should be able to do the right thing. We just get frustrated when they don't. So understanding that they're inevitably going to break the rules so that we can calmly handle it rather than lose the plot, because that's also where it breaks down the relationship. And then you end up with 
them feeling indignant, pushing back against you, and you've got the power struggles. And it just doesn't work. It doesn't help. So having an expectation that they can manage it themselves, we want to encourage them to try, but not have the expectation that they will succeed is the important because our frustration levels is very much um, an issue when it comes to this topic. I agree that uh, our frustration is highly proportional. (laughs) In fact, uh, our frustration is way more than their chances of messing up. And uh, the the, the conversation uh, is not about how to how not how how so much as to control what they're doing, but that fear that they will access something that we don't want them to access or we don't want them to get addicted to and how to be two steps ahead. But but we're not coming from a from a mindset where we will calmly, like you both said, where we will calmly actually diffuse the situation or, you know, put uh, an understanding to it. In fact, one of the things, if you look at the statistics that shows that we really need to be prepared for the fact that they most likely will see something that they shouldn't see. In fact, the statistics, because I was doing a a class on this the other day, 70% of kids, when it's talking about those, them stumbling across something they shouldn't, 70% of kids will stumble across something pornographic or or the likes yes simply by doing their homework research for school yes yes Yes. absolutely so instead of us going oh prevent our children we can't prevent that even back in the day and my 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 grandmother passed away in 2003 so we're talking about very early days of the internet before this was really such a big problem but she wanted some knitted woolen stockings and because you can't really get woolen stockings anymore and so I decided to use the internet that we had back then to see if I could source some for her and I put in woolen stockings and I was a little bit overwhelmed by some of the things that came up probably from the word stockings I guess so you see I was innocently doing a search and I was faced with things I didn't expect to be faced with either So we have to be aware. And so it's about having communications with our children that, okay, they can't unsee what they've seen, but they can shut down the window and not explore further and come and talk to us about it. And that's, again, why we have to be not scary parents because Mm -hmm. they need to be able to feel comfortable to talk to us about these things and understand that there's many other ways. My 10-year-old son, it's a thing that we just went through Um, just a few weeks ago now a kid at school because there's this horrible horrible anime porn and a kid at school told him to look up a Japanese word so he had no clue what it was he was innocent so he put it in and I tell you the stuff that he saw was horrendous so we had to have a conversation about it and he was he was really distressed about it. He had a big cry around it. And the cry I could tell wasn't a cry from help I got found out. It was a cry from I was really quite concerned about what I saw because it, it's exaggerated. It's worse than the real thing. Yes. Yes, absolutely. So we have to be aware that this is now an inevitable aspect of our world. How do we handle it as parents is 
we have to be in open communication with them all the time. We have to make it safe for them to talk to us about these things. I've had conversations with my kids that I think most people would uh, fall off their chair to think that I would talk about these things. But I talk about them so that they're aware. For instance, they, um, you know, you'd think that with all the women's rights and all this sort of movement that's been going on, that there would be a lot more respect for women. But in fact, what's out there amongst the teenagers is that if um, a boy takes a girl on a date, that he actually has an expectation for something in return. Yeah. And having these really frank conversations with with my girls about these things and a lot of parents think oh but if you tell them this talk about these things you're you're actually leading them to want to experiment or try them out Hmm. the reality is that we have to realize they're hearing this stuff already from people who are immature if we don't talk to them about it in a sensible way they're only going to have the immature version which is going to be far scarier than what we can talk to them about. So we've got to stop trying to stick our head in the sand about all these issues and just really open up the door and make it comfortable for our children to talk to us about them. Yes, yes, absolutely. absolutely. I I agree, you know, I I, I agree. A similar incident happened um, here in, uh, you know, even though we live in Saudi Arabia, right? So uh, my son told me... um, you know one day he was riding his bike just outside the masjid and um, a, a man in the car was sitting in the in the car park and he just said yeah muhammad this is just the normal way uh, people address when they know when, when they don't know your name they just say like yeah muhammad to everyone right and then he called my my son yeah muhammad come and then he went you know uh, as a respect maybe he needs something um then the man says shall i show you something and he put his, his phone out and he he showed like really inappropriate stuff so my son left his bike came running to me and he said mom you know something happened just now i didn't really get to see but i knew it was something very bad that you know he was he was nine right this is what he told me and i said alhamdulillah i'm really happy that you came and you told me uh, alhamdulillah you know it's very very important you can't say you are safe just because you live in a muslim majority country it's happening everywhere people have yeah muslims are number one in porn industry like when what the what the, the if you if you look at the list uh the muslim countries pakistan from where my ethnicity it's on on the top list the the more they are uneducated the more they are uh illiterate the more cell phones they have the more of of all of this is in in our palm, palms in our hands and it's uh, it has nothing to do with uh, muslim or non muslim yeah and i've also heard you know from parents now schools shifting to online version i've heard from many parents like catherine that while their children are doing their online schooling they have been, you know, screens popping up and they have been exposed to some stuff. And this particular mom reached out to me from Riyadh also saying like, oh, how can I, you know, they, I can't make them unsee what they've seen. What can I do now? And this is exactly what I said. Maybe just sit down and talk to them, right? Have, uh, but mm. the thing is, when incidents like this happen, it hurts our ego. It really makes us feel 
we have failed them, you know, like, oh, we're such a failure, we failed them, and this is why that this happened to, the, to them, right? We should not take it personal. We should, we should, we should really, it's important that we should not take like, it personal. Yeah, when, when we get our ego involved, that our wisdom in the situation goes out the window. So be beating ourselves up over it is actually going to make more pro make everything more problematic because we'll want to then start trying to control things. And the more we want to control it, the more they'll go underground and we won't know what's going on. So we need to take a step back, breathe, and realize that all parents are suffering this problem you're you're just telling us that you don't have devices in your home and yet your son still ended yes. up having this experience yes so it doesn't matter whether you're the strictest parent in the world that keeps devices away from your child or whether you're the most lenient parent in the world when it comes to devices at the end of the day it really builds it boils down to our communication and educating them and really guiding them to listen to how Allah is guiding them rather than to listen to to their nafs or curiosity around things yes and accepting accepting the fact that they will make mistakes you know it's inevitable yeah. it's part of growth it's part of learning they will fall into these pitfalls right and yeah and it's not a judgment on a parent because yes. look at no look at Noor he, he couldn't save his son you know, so we've got to understand that all we can do is show up as the best parents we can be. And the rest is in Allah's hands. Yes. If we go around judging each other uh, based on our children, on, on their children and our children's behavior, then this is not helpful to anyone. And I think that's one of the things that we call parental, parental um, oppression is the oppression on parents control your children or in you know, a judgment on parents because of children's behavior. Children's behavior is a symptom and it's a symptom of what's going on in the world. And it's also a symptom of what's going on in the home. And if a child's behavior is off track, it usually means that somewhere in the, in the scheme of things, someone needs support, someone needs help. So the child definitely needs help, but maybe even the parents need help. We need to face these situations with compassion and love and support for the parents and for the community and for society so that we can be there for our kids and protect their fitzer as best as we can inshallah inshallah yes, yes so um and um going back to you know the the social media and having access to it what age do you know this is one of the questions that we've received do you think is there there's any uh, suitable age with regards to children owning a mobile phone what age do you think this is one of the questions that we received what, what, <laughs> never <laughs> never yeah it would be is, helpful is if it age? could be never <laughs> <laughs> oh, alhamdulillah so, so uh, I think that question. yeah the, the mobile phones is a real problem because firstly once they have them they feel that it's theirs and you have no rights over it yes. um, so if it's a much harder battle than an ipad or a, a computer it's also uh easier to hide it's easier to have it under the blankets um there's so many issues with the mobile phone 
It also means that if the mobile phone it comes with data that they're no longer under your Wi-Fi. So if you've got mm-hmm. Wi-Fi controls in the house, they've still got access to the internet. Um, yeah. So you can't just switch the Wi-Fi off and then go, okay, they no longer have the internet. Their phone will have the internet. Um, so there's a lot of dramas with it. We, I left it to when my children reached high school, mm. they would get a phone because they started having to travel to and from school on their own and it seemed important that, for instance, if they missed the bus or something happened, that they would be able to contact me. And so that was when we introduced the phones. But the mm. pressure gets on, like my... 10 year old has been pressuring for at least a couple of years now like that gets younger and younger oh, everyone else has got a mobile phone except me it's like yeah but they didn't get it till they were 13 yes. <laughs> but I still think that we have to understand that at the age of 13 they're not able to control it so we have to realize that um unless we're we're involved and mentoring and coaching them yes. through that whole owning a mobile phone process that it will go off the rails. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, Aaron? Uh, no, I just totally agree with that. Like I said, if I could, I would not give it to them until they're out of their house. Maybe Mary will want <laughs> crazy idea. But um, absolutely. Like, See, we set this conversation by starting with the research that says how the dopamine is working, how their brain is working. I am amazed at the fact that we pressurize or or the society pressurizes the the teens or this age of adolescence um, so much with 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 good or bad or garbage, however you want to take it with the pressures, where, where they're basically not able to actually handle the pressure or handle this, um, I will call it fitna, whatever. But, um, but then again, I've interviewed a lot of Gen Zers and they are using social media to earn their money early on. They're 14 years old who are earning money and they're not, not because they're influencers, but they're actually programmers or they're actually VAs or they're actually illustrators or they're doing something or story writers, right? So mm-hmm. so, so there's a, so if, if somebody is doing that at the age of 14, 15, definitely they're going to own a phone because they, it's, it's their office, it's their workplace as well. And that's how they're getting contacts and networking. Again, it's a very difficult question. For, for me, if I would say I have, see, I, my children are staying at home with me for now. They're homeschoolers. So I don't see the need of cell phones mm. for them. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's different depending on everybody's, you know, uh, needs and circumstances. You know, every, every family can make their own decisions, but you would rather delay that uh, process, right, of mobile ownership for children. And um, yes, yeah, panala. And another it's deli- delaying the delaying the inevitable. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, yes. We hundred percent understand that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> And and I think you made a really good point there about every family. And when I talk about this topic, I always say every family is going to have to figure out their own solution to this. There's no right or wrong way because there's no generation before us has had to go through this. Nobody actually is the expert in this. Everybody is actually finding their way. So that's why I keep focusing on the whole relationship with your child thing, because as you find your way, the better the relationship you have with your child, 
the better you're going to be able to navigate this and figure out the best ways and know what what they are capable of managing themselves and what they're not because you'll be in good communication with them as soon as you lose that relationship uh, they'll go underground and you won't have a clue yes 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 so the the how to guide them is having open communication and focus on connection bonding and building a strong relationship uh, with your children from a young age and looking back to the example of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam right and like sister catherine mentioned during his time uh, the the 14 year olds they were leading the armies subhanallah and they they matured you know, so very quickly. And also the Prophet وسلم, even at that time, you know, the, the young people, they were going through uh, the same trials. Because I remember one of the hadith that, we, that one of the young companions came and asked, Oh Rasulullah, can you allow me to do zina? Right? Can uh, can you give me permission to commit zina? And all the other sahabas were like, no, how can you? Then? And then the Prophet was like, no, like sit, calm down calm down right and then he had a conversation with him like would you like it for your mother would you like it for your auntie right would you like it for your sister would you like it for your daughter and he kept saying no 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 and then he said likewise right you you nobody would want their this for zina for their daughter right or um, another another hadith that i remember is like he once went on a journey with a young sahaba and he was riding a camel and they they met a, a young girl who stopped the prophet وسلم, to ask a question about hajj and this this girl was very beautiful and this sahaba kept looking at her and the prophet وسلم, what did he do like he he got a hold of yeah his chin and he kept moving um, his face away right like and he 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 understood like he showed empathy i think this is what we need like just show empathy for their needs um, these are the children they are going through the, the different times they're being raised in different times than us and I, I know we all keep saying I, I'm not sure about you but we keep saying when I was young you know I never had porn until I was like you know 20 something 20. And... <laughs> yeah 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 they, and, and I bring out a, uh, my first phone and it's this big chunky thing <laughs> Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but we we need to have empathy, and we need to have empathy. They they yeah. have their own things going on, and they want to be part of this. Um, you know, uh, this generation. They don't want to be part of like twenty, thirty years ago generation. They want to be part of this generation. They want to have that sense of connection, belonging to their own peer group, and we can't completely dismiss that need that sense of belonging that they need and so allow them but the the rules how to set boundaries it has to come from parents right it's individual it's different for each family because your family circumstances are constantly changing evolving so it has to come from you maybe it's you know taking their mobiles away when they go to sleep you know that like actually uh, uh just a recent study shows that that's what you should do <laughs> that there should be a rule where everybody's cell phone is 
is locked and placed in, in, the, in the center of the house somewhere, even the adults, so that they don't get those waves, which will later on cause um, medical issues. And these are people who are working in the industry who are saying that this is how you should use your cell phone. And it's, it's pretty recent. It's been going on for some years, but it's pretty recent too. Yes, it's for adults as well, because that's the other thing we need to remember is how much time we're spending on our phones. Mm -hmm. David Gillespie in his um, book, The Teen Brain, it's quite curious. He made a connection between digital addiction and sugar addiction because he's also the author of the book, um, something about sugar being poison. And Mm -hmm. he was saying that for our generation of adults or I guess my generation, I'm probably older than you, <laughs> you all. Hey, we're in um, the same boat. Just for Catherine, we have years in the same boat. Yeah, but anyway, he's saying that the reason that the connection he's made is that we've become quite addicted to technology too because we were trained to be addicted through puberty by sugar, that mm-hmm. sugar addiction is real and that we've developed our own addictive behaviours and so we've been very susceptible to falling into the digital addiction as well. So we need to be very aware. And my kids pointed out to me all the time because obviously my work is online. So I'm usually busy in front of devices, like even right now here, we're doing work, but we're in, we're using a device. Yes. Is that they go, well, you tell us to get off, but you're on your device. Oh yeah, but mine's work. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> That's, that's what I say. I'm I'm also guilty of saying that. That's my like my phone is my office. You know, yeah. <laughs> I'm doing my work. Yeah. Okay, Allah. Okay, yes. Final thoughts, um, Aram. Final oh, thoughts think, and reflections. Um, I agree with uh, Alhamdulillah. Everything Sister Gatrin put out with everything you put out. I just want to end with. Uh, I just want to uh, tell you a joke because uh, it's funny. Uh, my, my son, like I said, he's been asking for a cell. He's only 14, right? And so I said, uh, one day he was like, you're going to give me a cell phone when I'll be 18. And I was like, no, no, by that time we'll be in our grave. So you can do whatever. We'll, we'll gift you a cell, phone on, uh, a cell phone on your wedding. And he was like, getting married now. <laughs> cell phone and a wife. Do you understand what are you asking for? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> kids are funny aren't they yeah <laughs> i oh, love it what a great way to end it that they're so desperate for a phone they get married uh, i think that um my last thoughts would be to parents to be kind with yourselves and be kind with your kids because everybody is working their way through this navigating this don't listen to the judgment and criticism from you know the previous generation because they have no idea how hard this is just understand that we need to take it one day at a time if something happens breathe pause wait until your wisdom comes back then talk to your children about it that's i guess what i'd leave it with yeah yeah subhanallah my i think my uh, biggest uh, advice to myself, reminder to myself and to everybody else is going back to the sunnah of how the Prophet mm-hmm. dealt with 
the you know the the problems that the teenagers teenagers during his time came to him right and he 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 was the man who could show empathy right he never dismissed like oh my god you know how can you say such a thing or i can't believe it how dare you you know he never uttered any such things and sometimes we say things implicitly explicitly that damage the relationship maybe the next thing the child is going to say is something very very important right and the minute we open our mouth with oh my god how can you say that we just like breaking that relationship there and there then i think showing empathy being open and um, understanding showing understanding so they come to us when things happen and so we can talk about it calmly and subhanAllah, this is the, like I said, first and foremost advice to myself, inshallah. I, I think for me and Iram, hard times are coming. Um, my eldest is only 14, going on 40. But yeah. <laughs> oh, well then he's re- if he's going on 40, he's ready for marriage then. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, yeah, we sh- we should be ready. We should be ready. It's fun. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> I I see our kids today. I see our kids today, and I I really worry about how they're going to navigate marriage and children because yes, it's such a different world. And yes, Panala. Yes, and make da'a, right? Make da'a that that guidance is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tawfiq is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and like Catherine mentioned that the the prophets were tested with their children right so Mm. not directly reflection of your bad parenting or you know your incompetency as a mother or you know you're such a failure you didn't teach them you know good enough and no it's not necessarily and sometimes it is a test from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so um, we, we can only guide them teach them what's wrong and right but at some point the decision has to come from them they should be able to navigate their way through and control themselves and Subhanallah. One thing I'm going to take away from today's session is Catherine's. There, they will make mistakes. It's inevitable. You know, be ready. Mm. Be ready. Subhanallah. Jazakallah, mm. hair ladies, for coming on board. I really enjoyed having this conversation with you all. And those who have tuned in to today's episode, please follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, where you can reach out with your questions. Remember, in each episode, we will answer one of the questions we have received from um, audience. We want to be part of the solution for the Ummah. Uh, as Muslim parents, we are now faced with new challenges and trials that were not familiar to previous generation of parents and that's why we have brought Monday Musings forward to answer your questions and be part of the solution for the Ummah inshallah so do get in touch give us a follow and reach out with your questions you can also email your um, questions on our websites and we look forward to connecting with you all in episode 3 with another guest speaker answering another one of your questions inshallah Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.